0: welcome to peace by believing with john redmond associate pastor of first baptist church in pasadena texas as a believer have you ever struggled with doubt If you have, or if you currently are, you are not alone. Will you please turn your Bible to the book of John, chapter 20, as John begins a very helpful message titled, Dealing with Doubt.
1: You know, those of us who are saved, I think we would all agree with this, the Christian life is a wonderful experience. You believe that, say amen. I mean, it really is, it's great to be saved, It's great to know that our sins are forgiven. It's great to know we're going to go to heaven one day. It's just great to be saved. But I think we would also agree with this. The Christian life, while wonderful, or at least it can be wonderful if we're walking in unbroken fellowship with God, the Christian life is not without its challenges. It's really not. And the Bible makes it very clear that we have three enemies in our life. We have the world, the flesh, and the devil. Say that with me. The world... The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world. That is, we live in a world that, by and large, rejects Jesus Christ as the Savior, that doesn't believe in God, or if they believe in God, it's some vague belief that somebody's up there, but the world in which we live doesn't believe in the God of the Bible, and it doesn't believe in the teachings of Scripture, and so sometimes the world says to us that there are certain things that are right. Certain things that are okay, certain things that are acceptable, that God's word says, no, those things are wrong, those things are sinful, those things are not right. And so the world is always trying to lure us in and get us to compromise what we believe as Christians. And then our second enemy is the flesh that is that part of you that sometimes wants to do the wrong thing. You know, sometimes people think, well, Once we get saved, we don't have to struggle anymore with our sinful nature. That's not true. In fact, once you get saved, you have to struggle more with your sinful nature than you did before you got saved. Because before you got saved, the only nature you had was your sinful nature. So it really wasn't much of a struggle. The struggle began when you received Jesus Christ, and now you have the new nature. And so now there's that civil war going on on the inside. Sometimes a person will say, well, I don't think I'm saved because I'm really struggling in my spiritual life. Well, more often than not, the struggle doesn't mean that you're not saved. The struggle means that you are saved. There wouldn't be a struggle if there weren't two natures on the inside of you. There's the spirit and there's the flesh. And yet the flesh wars against the spirit. And the flesh wants what it wants. The flesh, that part of you and me that is selfish, sometimes jealous, angry, unforgiving, bitter, that part of us that sometimes struggles with lust or could be an all manner of sin. That's that's an enemy that we have, and that's why sometimes we slip up and sin and we fall, because we still have the flesh. We have that old nature on the inside. But today, I want us to think more not about the world of the flesh, but about that third enemy, our greatest foe, and that is the devil himself. Now, most of us know the The background on the devil. We know how the devil became the devil. I want to remind those of you uh, who may have forgotten or just say to those of you who might not know, the devil hasn't always been the devil. There's not always been a devil in the world. For a long time before the devil came to the earth, the devil was not the devil. He was an angel in heaven with God, and his name was Lucifer. He was a beautiful angel. He was always around the throne of God. But as time went by, Lucifer noticed how all the other angels in heaven, everybody's always worshiping God, God, God. And Lucifer thought, well, I want to be worshiped like God is worshiped. And so we read in the Old Testament that he said, I will exalt myself. I will make myself like the Most High. I want to be the one that everybody up here is worshiping. And when he did that, it was rebellion against God. And God kicked Lucifer out of heaven, and he had a third of the angels who had gone along with that diabolical scheme. They got cast out of heaven. These now are the fallen angels. And when Lucifer was cast out of heaven, he became the devil. And in the very first book of the Bible, we read how he made his appearance. After God had created Adam and Eve, there they are in this beautiful garden. And they're so close to God that every day at the evening time, in the cool of the day, God came into that garden and God and Adam went on a walk together. And God and Adam and Eve went on a walk together. They were unbroken fellowship with God. And one day God said to Adam, Adam, you see all these trees in this garden that I've made for you? You and Eve can eat fruit from every tree in this garden except one tree. There's one tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you're not allowed to eat the fruit from that tree because if you do on the day that you eat of it, you will die. Not physically, not physical death, but you will die spiritually. This intimacy and closeness that we've enjoyed, it will be broken, and then you will begin to die progressively in your body. Well, that was the command. Adam knew what it was. Eve knew what it was. And one day the devil, in the person of this serpent, crept in in that garden. And that devil started speaking to Eve. And the devil said to Eve, has God indeed said, question mark, The first words that came out of the devil's mouth were a question mark on a clear teaching of God, a clear command of God. Has God indeed said, and what was the devil doing? He was creating in Eve's mind doubt about the trustworthiness of God, about the character of God, about the goodness of God. Has God indeed said, and then the devil said this, that you shall not eat from any of these trees. See, the devil is not only a liar, he's a deceiver. And Eve's and Eve, Well, no, God didn't say we couldn't eat from any of the trees. He just said that we shouldn't eat from this particular one tree, and then we're not supposed to touch it. Well, God never said you couldn't touch it. and so. But what had happened, when the devil came in the garden, put that doubt in Eve's mind, and lured her into a conversation, he had her right where he wanted her. She ate the forbidden fruit. Adam ate the forbidden fruit. Sin entered the world. And the, but the devil began all that by creating a doubt, By raising a question, has God really said, did God really say, did God really say? And so what I want us to think about today is how the devil uses doubt in the life of a child of God to create questions about God's promises, questions about our own salvation, questions about God's plan for our life. The devil always puts a question mark where God puts a period. And we need to just let it be a period and not be a question mark. So if you'll open your Bible today to the Gospel of John, chapter 20, we're thinking about how we can deal with doubt in our life. Now, for some people, doubt is a really big deal. And you've heard my testimony through the years. For years, I struggled with doubt. Am I truly saved? Am I saved? Am I not saved? Am I saved? And that went on for a long time. And I'm not the only one in that boat. There are a lot of people who have struggled with doubt. For other people, doubt doesn't last as long as it did for me. But it just kind of creeps up from time to time. And sometimes you're in a service like this, and at the end when we lead the salvation prayer, you say, well, I prayed that prayer last week, but I believe I better pray it again today. And then you come back next week, and you pray it again. And so really, you're struggling with doubt too. You just may not think about it every day. It's just when you're in a certain setting, you say, well, I'm not so sure. that What is behind all that? It is the devil causing you to ask questions, and the devil making you doubt. Now, it could be, if you're not saved, the Holy Spirit convicting you that you need to be saved. Certainly, that's possible. But it could also be the devil trying to make you doubt whether or not you're truly saved. Now, in John chapter 20, we read about one of the disciples named Thomas. And he's known as Doubting Thomas because he was always asking questions and he was full of doubt. And on this particular occasion, he was doubting the resurrection. Now, why was he doubting the resurrection? Because he had no physical evidence that Jesus had been raised from the dead. He had not seen the risen Christ. And when we come to our passage today, John chapter 20, this whole chapter, the first of the chapter, is devoted to the resurrection. It is Resurrection Sunday, and Thomas doesn't believe in the resurrection because he hasn't seen Jesus with his own eyes. So let's begin reading in verse number 19. Then the same day at evening, this is Resurrection Sunday night. Jesus has been out of the grave now for about 12 or 14 hours. Being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. You see, Jesus is always trying to bring peace into our hearts. And the devil is always trying to bring doubts and and turmoil. Verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And so they knew that Jesus was alive. They've seen him now. Look in verse 24. Now Thomas, called the twin, in the Greek language, Tom, the name for Thomas is Didymus. And it literally means twin. And it's kind of appropriate because sometimes we feel like we might be Thomas's twin because we too have our questions. He's called the twin. One of the twelve was not there with them when Jesus came. So his doubts have separated him now from the other disciple. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side. Now listen to these next four words. I will not believe. Notice he didn't say, I cannot believe. He said, I will not believe. Belief, faith, is a decision. It is a choice. And Thomas had said, unless I can see with my eyes the nail prints in his hands, unless I can put my hand in his side where they put that spear in his side, then I will not believe that Jesus is alive. So he refused to believe. Why? Because he had no physical evidence that Jesus was alive. And so sometimes I think we doubt let's just take salvation. We doubt our salvation for the similar reason. I, I can't look in my heart and see Jesus in there. I mean, you can't look down in your heart and see Jesus. I can remember when I was a teenager, we had gone one night to Dallas, big Dallas Mavericks basketball fans. and We were in Reunion Arena watching the Mavericks play this night. We were way up in the, up in the we were about a half a mile above the nosebleed section up there that night. And I mean, so high up the game was a rumor from where we were, where we were sitting. But we were trying to see the game, and everybody I was with that night was having a fun time talking and trying to see the game. But at this time in my life, I was doubting my salvation. I was a teenager. And I was wondering, Lord, am I, am I really saved? Am I truly saved? That just really struggling. If this I know this is gonna sound silly, but I remember thinking, God, if you, if I'm saved, if you could just cause my hands to turn red. Isn't that silly? But I said, God, if you'll just cause my hands to turn red, then I'll know that I'm saved. Now what was I, and by the way, my hands didn't turn red, that that prayer didn't get answered. But I thought, God, if you just turn my hands red, then I'll know that I'm saved. What was I saying? Same thing Thomas was saying. I was saying, God, if I could have some proof, some evidence, something physical that I could see, if my hands would just turn red for like five seconds, then I could know that I'm saved. But in the absence of of physical evidence and physical proof, what did I do? I just continued to live on in doubt. So the question is, how did Thomas overcome his doubts? Because he didn't stay doubting Thomas forever. He got those doubts resolved, and eventually he became a missionary in India, and he was killed for his faith in Jesus Christ. So he wasn't going to be killed for a faith he doubted, He was killed for a faith that he very much believed in. And two things happened. And for those of you doubting today, wondering today, am I truly saved? The first thing that it takes to get beyond that doubt is we must have a transformational encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. Now look what happens in verse 26. And after eight days, the disciples of Jesus were again inside, and Thomas was with them. So now the other disciples have got Thomas with him now. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. There's Jesus giving peace. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. How does a person get saved? These seven who were baptized earlier in this service, how were they saved? They weren't saved by being baptized. Their sins were not washed away in the baptistry this morning. They got baptized not in order to be saved. They got baptized because they already had been saved. Well, how did they get saved? They had a transformational encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. Not some vague head knowledge, not some belief. Well, I believe God's out there. I believe God loves me. I believe Jesus died. Therefore, I must be saved. No, you don't get saved by that kind of faith. That's just head knowledge. And the Bible says the devil believes all that. We must have a transformational encounter with the person of Jesus Christ where we come to him as sinful people asking for salvation and he changes our life. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever had a transformational encounter with Jesus Christ? You know, there are many people who doubt their salvation who shouldn't because they have been changed. My honest conviction, there are some people who never doubt their salvation who should Because they've never had a transformational encounter with Jesus Christ. And so that person should doubt. The person who says, well, I've never never asked one time. I've never examined. I've never questioned my salvation. You know, part of me, to be honest, is envious of that person just because of how long I did doubt my. But if I'm totally honest, I'll say this. There's another part of me that's skeptical of that person. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 that we are to examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. How can you examine yourself without examining yourself? Peter said in one of his letters, make your calling and election sure. Well, how can you make sure without making sure? Now, that doesn't mean our whole life we have to live like that. But the Bible is saying that this salvation is a big deal. Eternity lasts for a long time. It lasts forever. It's serious business we're into. And so we should examine ourselves and we should make sure that we're saved. Dwight L. Moody, who was a famous preacher in the 1800s, he was like the Billy Graham of that day. He preached a sermon one night like I'm preaching today. Except his was much better than I am, but he was preaching a sermon on salvation and assurance and doubt and all this. And after the service, a lady came up to him and said, Reverend Moody, I've never doubted my salvation. And he said, ma'am, I doubt you're saved. I doubt If you've never even Taking a second to say I now that doesn't mean doubt's good and we shouldn't doubt but this examination, this making sure that Jesus Christ is living in our heart, that's something that the Bible doesn't tell us to doubt but the Bible tells us to examine and the Bible tells us to make sure but it all begins by having a transformational encounter with Jesus Christ and then not only do we have to have that encounter, we have to make a decision to believe believing is a decision it is a commitment It's not something that just gradually happens. There's a moment in time, it happened for Thomas, where he passed from unbelief to belief. And for everybody who's been saved, there's a moment in time where you pass from death to life, from darkness to light, from being unsaved to being saved. Now, that doesn't mean everybody knows when that moment was. Not everybody knows that. If we got in an airplane today and said, we're going to fly from Houston Hobby to Orlando, so we're flying now up in the air, 30,000 feet. We're flying from Houston to Orlando. Well, there, we're not going to know when we cross the Florida state line. I mean, Mickey Mouse is not up there 30,000 feet saying, Welcome to Florida. I mean, that's not there. Well, how are we going to know when we got there? Well, if that, if that plane lands in Orlando, we know we crossed that state line, Right? Whereas if you drive a car, you know you cross the state line. Well, salvation is like that. Most people know when they cross the line, but some people, they don't know exactly when that happened, but they know that they're saved because there's evidence, there's proof. And the main proof is they are trusting Jesus Christ. Friend, I want to say this to you today. This may be for one person in this room who says, you know, John, I am trusting in Jesus, but it's always kind of bothered me that I don't know when I cross that line. Friend, listen to me today. If you are trusting Jesus Christ right now with all of your, heart, that means there was a time back there somewhere where you trusted him. Now think about that. You can't trust him now if you didn't trust him then. And conversely, if you're not trusting Jesus now, you may have some experience in the past that you're calling your salvation experience, but if it has not led you to trust Jesus now, there's something wrong. And so what we have to do is put our faith in Jesus. And this is what, uh, Peter, uh, what Thomas did. Look in verse 28. And again, at the end of verse 27, what did Jesus say? Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas, in verse 28, answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. He put his faith in Jesus. He made a decision. I trust you, Jesus. Now, for him, it was pretty easy because he could see Jesus. In fact, notice what Jesus says in the very next verse. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, that's talking about us. I've never seen Jesus. As far as I know, And you may have had some vision or some experience, but I, I would say most everybody, nobody in this room probably has seen Jesus. Maybe you're the exception to that. But I've never seen Jesus. I've never put my hands in his nail print, but I believe, I trust him, and I take that by faith. And so the question is this. For those today who the devil is, is defeating you by doubt and you're wondering, am I saved or am I not saved? My hands are not turning red. How do I know whether or not I'm saved? I want to give you, I want to sh- two steps today, so simple and so easy that we could all understand this and all leave here today in a few minutes saying, man, I know now, no question about it, I know that I'm saved. Step number one, put your faith in the promises of God. Put your faith In the promises of God. That is the key. All through the Scripture, God has made promises. You know, in fact, the fact is, several times before the crucifixion, Jesus had said to his disciples, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men. They're going to crucify me. I'm going to be buried. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again. That was a promise. Now, if you think about it, the disciples should have believed in the resurrection Had they never seen the body of Jesus, they should have been able to believe in the resurrection had the stone never been rolled away, had they never seen the empty tomb. I mean, if their faith was what it should be, Jesus said, I'm gonna rise on the third day, even if they went to the tomb on Sunday and the the stone was still over the door, they should have just said, Well, he must have gone out the back way because he said he was gonna rise on the third day, and so we just believe that. And yet, they needed that evidence. They needed to see the body of Jesus. And so as we think about how can I know that I'm saved, the first step is to take the clear promises of God in the Bible. For example, I'll give you two. Romans chapter 10 in verse 13. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now that's a promise in the Bible. It's a clear promise. Whoever, that includes you, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not might be saved, could be saved, potentially will be saved, prayerfully will be, no, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so to the person here who has come to Jesus and called on him, let me ask you a question. Would Jesus lie to you? Would God lie to you? Would God say to you, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved? And yet you've called on the name of the Lord, and for whatever reason you're not saved. Well, no, he wouldn't. So you put your faith in that promise. Second verse, John chapter 6, verse 37. At the end of that verse, Jesus said this, the person who comes to me, I will never cast out. Now, that's a promise, a clear promise. Jesus said the person, the student, the child, the man, the woman, the educated, the uneducated, rich, poor, religious person, person who's never been in church, maybe this is your first time today, Jesus said, the person who comes to me in repentance and faith, confessing their sins and asking for salvation, Jesus said, I'll never cast that person out. I'll never tell that person to go away. That is a promise. So here's your question today. Have you ever been to Jesus? Has there been a time in your life when you came to Jesus? Well, if you have, how is it that you're not saved? Well, the only way that would be true is if Jesus lied. And we know that God is not capable of lying. He always tells the truth. I like the old hymn that says it this way. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? I mean, Jesus said, if you come to me, I'll accept you. I'll not cast you out. So you have come. You have prayed. Well, unless Jesus lied, you are saved. So the first thing we have to do is put our faith in the promises of God. Now, the second thing we have to do is an extension of that, but it's even more specific. We have to put our faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. Everybody here today, first of all, I would certainly think everybody here today wants to go to heaven when they die. Then that means everybody here today is trusting something to get them to heaven. And everybody in the world, I've never met anybody who didn't want to go to heaven. The question is, what is it that people are trusting to get them there? Well, we better put our faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the blood that washes our sins away. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Come now, God said, and let us reason together. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. God, how are you going to do that? How are you going to make my scarlet sins as white as snow? Through the blood of Jesus, because it is his blood that washes our sins away. And so, so what do we do? We put our faith in the blood of Jesus.
0: Are you trusting in Jesus for your salvation so that you will go to heaven when you die? If not, you can. Won't you pray with me now? Just say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. Right now, I ask you to come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. Please make me the person you created me to be. In your name I pray, amen. For those of you who have just prayed to receive Christ as your Savior, we would love to know about it and to rejoice with you in your decision. Please send us an email to info at peacebybelieving.org or give us a call at 1-800-337-0157. Thank you for joining us today and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond as he continues his message, Dealing with Doubt.